Thanks for downloading and welcome to Take Orally, the podcast from Dream, Queen's Medical Centre, Nottingham. In this episode, we'll be discussing preterm premature rupture of membranes. As ever, all information is correct at the time of recording. All guidelines mentioned are correct for Nottingham University Hospital's NHS Trust. Other trust guidelines may vary. All views and opinions are the speaker's own. Hello, my name's Jamie. I'm one of the teaching fellows in emergency medicine. Um, I'm Anna. I'm one of the teaching fellows in obstetrics and gynaecology. Uh, welcome back again to Take Orally, Anna. Um, for this podcast, we're going to be talking about um, an abbreviation that gave me a bit of difficulty in saying, but it's apparently it's PPROM. Yeah. P-P-R-O-M. Very good. Uh, so, yet again, just assume I know nothing about Bob's and Guy. It's probably the safest place, Anna. Um, what does PPROM stand for? So that is um, preterm pre-labour rupture of membranes. Okay. And what is its definition? So basically it means that the amniotic sac, so the waters that surround the baby, have broken before 37 weeks of pregnancy. Um, however, we're more concerned about it, obviously, the earlier in pregnancy it happens. If it happens at 36 weeks and 6 days, we'll probably manage it just the same as if it had happened after 37 weeks. If it happens significantly before, then we have more concerns. Okay. Um, so a lady's not going to come up to you going, I've got P-PROM, um, no. although unless she's you know, well-trained such as yourself, she might do. <laughs> um, so what, what's the typical history going to be then? So um, simply that someone would notice that they feel um, suddenly wet um, and that may actually be very difficult then to determine if it's their waters have gone, although they'll probably come in saying, I wonder if my waters have gone because I feel very wet. Um, or the patient actually may not know if she has been incontinent of urine, so that's the kind of major differential diagnosis for, for this really. Um, and that's generally it. Sometimes women might then start to complain of pain because after someone's waters have gone, they might com- start complaining of contractions, and so they might start complaining of that. Um, Generally, that's kind of the only thing, especially in the in the acute instance. Mm. Um, sometimes women may not realise their waters have gone, or they may have had, you know, not very much watery discharge and not thought much else of it. These women may present later down the line with symptoms suggestive of infection, which I think we'll probably come to later. So high temperature and abdominal pain or offensive vaginal discharge. Okay. Uh, so not necessarily painful could be missed by the by the lady. Some yeah, sometimes. Could but I think probably most pregnant women are, um, you know, concerned mm. if they suddenly feel wet. Um, so a lot of women will come. Okay. To get checked. So what's um, what's examinations important then with our patient who you're suspecting having PPROM? Um, so simple things like checking observations. So like I said before, we do worry about infection. So making sure that she's not got a temperature and checking heart rate, etc. Standard things for pregnancy, such as um, a, a urine dip and blood pressure, are always important. Um, doing abdominal examination, making sure that the uterus is um, where it should be for the number of weeks of pregnancy that she's telling you she is, um, and making sure that she doesn't have any tenderness in the uterus that might suggest infection. Mm. Um, And then the key thing then to actually make the diagnosis is to do a speculum examination. Um, Sometimes actually that's not necessary if somebody actually has got obvious clear fluid draining from the um, vagina or they've got very soaked sanitary towels um, you could probably make the diagnosis on the basis of that but otherwise a speculum examination if you can see clear fluid pooling in the vagina or draining from the cervix then the diagnosis is pretty clear 
Um, however, sometimes it's not always that clear cut. So especially at the very early stages of pregnancy where there might not be that much fluid around the baby. You, you know, the woman may have noticed this, but actually by the time you examine her, there's nothing left there to see. So if the history is kind of very suggestive, but there's nothing actually to see on examination, then there are some tests that we can do to confirm or to rule out the diagnosis. Um, I think it brings you on to your next, it <laughs> next does. question. It does bring me <laughs> on to my next question. Um, Anna is great when she comes to take orally because she provides a load of questions for me, so it's great. Um, <laughs> what investigations will confirm it? So there is... Um, as I say, if you can't identify it just by um, the appearance on an examination, there's a special test um, that is available in most hospitals and certainly is available in Nottingham, um, which is a, a swab you take basically from the upper vagina and it looks for um, a special protein which is only present in amniotic fluid and not present in other vaginal secretions or urine. Mm. So you take that swab and then it's a bit like a pregnancy test that you, you dip the dip the stick, one line is negative and two lines is positive and that's highly suggestive if that's a positive result, even if you can't see any lycra draining. Okay. It's pretty convincing that in fact it's been a P prom. <laughs> okay. And you've then also put any other investigations required, so yeah, so that's if you have made the diagnosis, then mm. we there we would want to do some blood tests for these women as a partly as a baseline because one of the things we I keep going on about it is infection. So when that protective membrane is gone, um, then there is a risk of infection. So that's an ascending infection, then, is it? Absolutely, yeah. So um, we would want to check a full blood count to see the white cell count and also a CRP um, as a baseline. And if the woman had started contracting, going into labour, you might want to do a group and save um, to, as in preparation, really, as a just-in-case measure. Um, there then. And you also, the other thing you might do at the same time as um, doing a specular examination, you might take a upper vaginal swab, um, high vaginal swab, to rule out other causes of infection mm. um, that may be there. Yeah, I was going to say, is it possible to, to culture the amniotic fluid to see if you're worried about infection? Yeah, so I mean, you, it could be, so that might guide you as to the types of antibiotics that you might need to give the patient um, if she does you know, start showing signs of infection. So I suppose, you know, think about treatment then, that you're thinking if there's any of those complications, that will then guide our treatment then of this lady coming in with P-Prom. Yeah, potentially. So um, what's the standard sort of treatment then for, for a patient coming in with P-Prom? Um, so mostly it's conservative. It, it does very much depend on the stage of pregnancy that the waters have gone. So if, if uh, I, I said at the beginning the definition is anything less than 37 weeks, but obviously if somebody is coming in at, thir you know, nearly 37 weeks, um, then actually you're more tempted to kind of treat them as if the waters had gone at term. Um, and that would be by giving her an amount of time, maybe 24 hours or so, to see if she goes into labour naturally. And if she doesn't, then you would induce labour, because at that point the risk of infection becomes higher than the risk of prematurity. Um, but if the woman is, let's say for example, 27 weeks, then actually the risk of prematurity is much greater than the risk of infection in that case, and so the management is conservative. Um, and you see what happens. We monitor her by doing her blood tests, observations, etc., um, how she is clinically for signs of infection, because all of those things would you know, make you want to think about um, expediting the birth. But actually, if none of that happens, and she doesn't go into labour naturally, you would just... 
allow things to carry on and try and get that pregnancy a bit further to reduce the prematurity risks. Mm. So I suppose the potential complications of PPROM are really where the stage of pregnancy I'm, I'm imagining then? Absolutely yeah so the main ones we worry about are that of uh, complications of pre- prematurity because a lot of women will go into labour after the, the membranes are broken so um, all of those prematurity complications. Um, the risk of infection we've me- mentioned several times um, and they're the main ones. There are um, other risks if if the waters go really early, and I'm talking maybe in this kind of late second trimester, 18, 20 weeks, um, then there are specific complications associated with the fact that actually the amniotic fluid is important for the developing fetus mm. for movement of the arms and legs. So if the um, amniotic fluid drains very early, then the baby may be born with contractures of the arms and legs. Um, but more sev- more serious than that is the lung development problems. Um, amniotic fluid, especially in the very early stages, babies breathe it in and out and it helps their lung development. If they don't have that amniotic fluid, lung development doesn't happen. So even if, um, let's say that baby then gets to 36 weeks and is born, that baby's lung development may not be sufficient to allow it to survive outside the outside the uterus. So those are very specific complications mm. if the waters go, as I say, 18, 20 weeks very early on. Is infection more of a risk to the mother or to the to the baby? Here? Um, so both, because we're talking about an infection called chorioamnionitis, so of the membranes and the placenta. Um, so it would be the mother who would show us signs of infection, so clinically with abdominal pain and the discharge and fever, um, and obviously that could make her very unwell, but likewise you'd be very worried about the baby, um, and that's certainly a baby born where there was chorioamnionitis would need antibiotics at birth and sometimes need neonatal intensive care. Okay. We worry about both of them. Okay. And um, so at what point would you start to uh, be planning a delivery then? for the um, patient coming in with PPROM? Um, so if they don't go into labour themselves we would, and they don't develop any signs of infection, then by at least 36 weeks you'd probably think about planning delivery. Like I mentioned earlier, at that stage the risk of infection probably outweighs any risks of prematurity, so it's reasonable at that stage. Get the baby out. But it depends on the unit that you work in because some hospitals will say 34 weeks. So between 34 and 36 is a bit of a grey area. Um, but definitely by 36 you would advise induction of labour. Okay. And um, is there any medication you can give to the baby to, to help if you are planning possibly an earlier delivery? Uh, yep. So if um, so, anyone who's basically had PPROM, if they're less than 36 weeks... Again, 34 to 36, a bit of a grey area, but definitely less than 34 weeks, you'd want to give the mother a course of steroid injections to help yeah, increase surfactant production in the fetal lungs. So if the baby was delivered, that helps. Um, the other medication that we give for the mother is um, a, a course of uh, antibiotics, which is normally erythromycin. Um, that's not actually to try and prevent infection like we talked about, like the coronavirus, the ascending infection. It's because we think in a lot of cases of PPROM there is some underlying subclinical infection that's caused the, okay. mem- the, the waters to go in the first place. Mm. 
Um, and so that antibiotic basically treats that kind of underlying subclinical infection. I was going to ask, um, do we know what actually causes it, whether... You know, is in the majority of cases we don't just don't know, and it just happens. Yeah, so, so we put most of the time you can't exactly put your finger on it, um, exactly what it is. We think there's probably some underlying subclinical infection that's caused it in a lot of cases. So doing a HVS, you know, when the patient first presents, might uncover something, um, but not always. Um, and for so for a lot of the times, we don't we don't know. Okay, and so. Um, if you're seeing this patient, um, you know, on, on your uh, assessment ward, um, do they need to stay in uh, once they've been diagnosed? Um, so most of the time we would keep them in for a period of observation. So um, again, it depends slightly on the gestation. Um, but let's take our, our hypothetical 27-weeker, then yeah, you'd want to keep her on the ward. Um, within that first 24-48 hours there's the highest risk that she'll go into spontaneous labour so we'd want to keep her in for that period of time at least and then following that it's monitoring for infection um, but obviously then that's potentially a long time between 27 and 36 weeks for that patient to be mm. in hospital so as if everything kind of stays settled after a week or so it's possible for them to go home at the discretion of the consultant and depends on the patient. They have to keep coming back for blood tests. They have to do their temperature daily at home. And obviously they need to be sensible to know when to come back and see us if they're worried about anything. So that's my next question. So what, what sort of follow-up would you be planning then for the lady? So, um, so in a, a woman, let's say, who has you know gone home, I've mentioned a couple of things. The, the blood tests, you might do those a couple of times a week for white cell count and CRP, daily temperature. You'd probably want to keep seeing her back in the clinic. Um, you might arrange, depending on the clinical situation, growth scans for that baby. Um, and then obviously making sure that if nothing else happens, no infection, she doesn't go into labour, that she's got a date to come for her induction of labour. Mm. Also keeping an eye out fetal movements and all those sorts of things as well. Yeah, yeah so all the standard things that we tell any pregnant woman about pain and bleeding, fetal movements, um, all still apply here. Cool. Okay. I think we're at the, we're at the end of our questions. So. <laughs> <laughs> that is PPRO. Thank you, Anna. <laughs> That was the Take Orally Preterm Premature Rupture of Membranes podcast. You can find us on both uh, Facebook and Twitter where we'll put up links to any guidelines mentioned and you can contact us to suggest topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes. For information on education and research opportunities within emergency medicine, acute medicine and major trauma, you can find NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter.